when you see love everywhere, you can share. There's enough for everyone. And there's not only one person who can give it to you. It's many persons are going to give you love in many different ways. Hey, lovebirds. Today, we are scratching the surface of polyamory. But more specifically, we're going to be focusing on this concept called compersion. Compersion is a relatively new term, meaning the ability to derive pleasure from seeing your partner be happy with another person. It can also be described as the opposite to jealousy, and it is a very, very important concept in polyamory because instead of being jealous that your partner is engaging in whatever way with another person, you can derive happiness from it. So everybody wins. And my guest today is Montreal blogger, writer, and expert on compersion, Marie-Claude Larcher, who wrote the book Compersion polyamory beyond jealousy. And don't worry, if you're not polyamorous, this really has the power to transform your monogamous relationships. She has been getting request after request to expand the scope of her work to include monogamous couples. So there is really something here for everybody. My name is Sean Galanos, and this is The Love Drive. Okay, I'm ready. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Uh, w- uh, could you please introduce yourself? So I am Marie-Claude Larcher, and uh, I'm mostly known in the polyamorous community as Hypatia from space. I write about polyamory, which is quite unusual. Since I published my book, I'm quite out of the closet about polyamory. So people know me by my actual name, Marie-Claude Larcher. And the book is called... Compersion. Yeah. Polyamory beyond jealousy. Polyamory beyond jealousy. Yes. I guess a good place for us to start would be, how did you realize that you were polyamorous? I've been polyamorous for a while before I even knew this had a name. Polyamory happened to us. It's not something we decided to do at first. Uh, my husband and I had been swingers for a few years uh, when a night of threesome with my best friend ended up in the three of us falling in love. My husband and I fell in love with her and she fell in love with us. And we were, oh my God, that's weird. But, you know, we weren't the kind of people who would not uh, explore something because because it was weird. We were not the kind to back off because it was going to be complicated. We just decided, okay, let's do this. A relationship with three people together. We knew no one who ever did that. We didn't know it existed. We had we were under the impression that we were inventing it. And actually, we spent so much time talking about what are we doing? How are we doing this? It really actually was like we were inventing it. It was a 
beautiful experience. It was life-altering. And later on, we learned that we were not the only ones to do this. And it had a name. It was called polyamory. And it, it, it's a thing. People do that, actually. And we find, found some other people who were living the same thing and became friends with them. And that was five years ago. And that's how the polyamory community in Montreal started, maybe. Yeah, we met a few people at the time. I think the first meeting of Polyamory Montreal, we were about 12 people. And then we found out that we were not alone. Uh, to those 12 people, uh, it doubled in no time and then tripled. And nowadays, I think we're 2,700 members. In Montreal? Only Montreal. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's becoming more popular. Yeah. I wouldn't say that it's mainstream. In the US, it is. It's, it's becoming fashionable to be poly. It's becoming fashionable. In the US. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Do people know what is involved in polyamorous relationships? Because I feel like when something becomes fashionable, people jump on without really knowing what it takes. Well, it's kind of unfortunate that people are jumping into polyamory just because it's fashionable. But I think anyways, in, in society, we jump into a relationship model, be it polyamory or monogamy, just because we think it has to be this way. So it used to be that everyone would jump into monogamy because it was fashionable. It was, we never even know that there was something else possible. So, and it's unfortunate that people who are not actually meant to be monogamous, who are not, uh, let's say, programmed to be monogamous, will just try to be for their whole life and fail miserably at it. So, uh, I think any relationship uh, model can be chosen consciously or just oh, I'm going to do that because it's what everyone does. It's always unfortunate when you try to do things just because others do. And not to mention that there are repercussions in polyamory because your actions not only affect your partner or your lover, but affects their lovers and then your other lovers and their lovers' lovers. And I think it can get pretty messy pretty quickly if you're not really conscious about what it is that you're doing and how what your impact is on other people. We call it poly domino because oh. you, you can think of a domino game, you know, someone does an action, has a problem or an issue in a relationship and then it affects everyone around. So you have to think twice about what you're doing because it has an impact on people. It does. I've never been really in I've never been in a polyamorous relationship other than the fact that I've been somebody's boyfriend, right? Who was in uh -huh. a in a polyamorous relationship. And so I, I feel felt like not super invested, you mm -hmm. know, and like that my actions weren't that impactful. But I was always intrigued by the concept of polyamory, especially because like in my younger days when sex was more important or like more of a focal point in my life, which it's less now. My idea was like, oh, polyamorous people are having all sorts of sex with all sorts of people all the time. And one of my friends said, yeah, kind of. I mean, there is, there can be more sex, but there's certainly way more communication. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, communication is key to 
every type of relationship. But of course, if you've got more partners, then you've got to communicate more. And that's where uh, I, I'd say if you want to be polyamorous, ex- expect to have to learn good communication skills. That's one of the first things to think about. Yeah. You have to be able to express what it is that you want, what your needs are, how you're feeling in a way that's respectful and takes into account other people's feelings. Absolutely. Oof. You're already good at this. <laughs> yeah, I know, but <laughs> I have some sort of intimacy issues which prevent me from really getting close to some people. That's sort of how I feel, but mm-hmm. it's like le cordonnier mal chaussé, you know? Uh-huh. Well, it's funny because some people think that polyamory is just one way to escape intimacy. You know, you have many partners and none of them is really important. And I sure hope that this is not true for most polyamorists. Uh, For myself, I wanted to get into many relationships because when I'm invested in one, it makes me so happy that I still have room for more. More intimacy, more intimacy, more connection, more uh, getting to know someone, more getting being vulnerable too, which is the scary part. Polyamory is not that way to escape uh, intimate relationship for sure. I've sort of I've heard people say that. Yeah. Oh, multiple relationships is a way for you to really not deepen the one relationship that you already have. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. And it's very funny that you make me think of that because my daughter who grew up uh, with poly parents, she's now 24 years old. And a couple of years ago, she uh, fell in love big time with this Australian guy. She flew uh, all over the planet to go see him over there. And then uh, at some point, they had this beautiful connection. And he said, you know, I'm polyamorous. And she said, no, you're not. You're just afraid of commitment because I know what poly is. I know my parents are, and polyamorous people are not afraid to commit. They don't use polyamory to escape commitment and connection. So when she told me that, I was so proud of her because if there's one thing I wanted my kid to know about uh, polyamory is that, yeah, it's not the way to escape intimacy. That is an incredible story. I love it. I love it. And my daughter is monogamous, by the way. My three children are considered themselves monogamous. So being a poly parent doesn't make your children intrinsically future polyamorous. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like there's a lot of parents that are worried. They're like, oh, my kid's going to pick up this thing that I do. And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes they can just go on the other side just to contradict what you do. That would just be the normal reaction of kids. But uh, I, th- I think my children will do their own choice for themselves, and I trust that they do what's best for them. Were you always the type of person to fall in love easily? Oh, yes. I could have told you that from uh, grade one when I fell in love with this uh kid in my classroom and uh, my mom when she recalls of this she says I couldn't wait for you to stop being with infatuated with that guy apparently it lasted like the whole school year for one year at seven years old I was in love and I can remember the emotion it was 
some people say, oh, when you're a kid, you're too young to fall in love. But I know it actually felt like the real thing. At seven, six, seven years old, I already knew what it was to be in love. Yeah, I'm someone who falls in love uh, pretty much easily. And of course, when I met my husband, uh, I thought he was the one. And he was actually. Uh, we've lived this uh, truly beautiful connection for, it's been 22 years now, and the relationship is coming to an end. But uh, it's been a beautiful, beautiful relationship. Even though I was madly in love with that person and we were perfectly fitted suited for each other. We made each other perfectly happy. We raised three beautiful children together. Every once in a while, I would still meet someone who I felt a special connection with them and I would fall in love all over again. And I thought, what's wrong with me? It was a heartache every time for me because I, I would not go through, I would not pursue that connection, but I, I, still, I fell in love and I wish I could just live that thing without hurting anyone. And I was, why can it not be something beautiful that I fall in love? Why does it have to be painful for my husband if society proposes either when you're monogamous, either you're faithful or you're betraying your partner? There's no other option. And I wish there was. And there was. There was. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's one of the beautiful things about polyamory uh, and open relationships is that it permits. And one of the things that I'm drawn to is it allows for the exploration of mm -hmm. connections with other people beyond a platonic connection. Yeah. Yeah. What makes the difference between cheating and polyamory, basically, is that everyone is knowing of the situation and consenting to it. We're not playing behind anyone's back. We're not lying. We're not cheating. We're going by what is uh, the, the commitment with our partners. I am committed to my relationship, but that doesn't involve exclusivity. And this is all stuff that you can figure out with your partner and there's all sorts of different arrangements. It's not mm -hmm. just, it's not just, this is the, I mean, monogamy is very, very limiting. Yeah. There is, there's very little room for exploration in a monogamous relationship, but in polyamory, you make up the rules. Yeah. We often say there are as many types of polyamory as there are polyamorists because everyone Every couple, every uh, uh, triad, every relationship, whatever they call it. Some people don't want to be called a couple because it's already a label that uh, puts already uh, definitions of what it's supposed to mean. And people want to define by themselves, okay, this is what we're, we're going to be. They don't want to be uh, following a set of rules. They want to just see what fits best for them. So when you first opened up your relationship, was it challenging for you to see, I'm assuming that your partner was also maybe dating or seeing other people or getting involved in other relationships? At first it was, uh, as I said, just uh, my husband and I and our girlfriend. So, uh, and this wasn't the moment where it was the most challenging, I would say. After that relationship, uh, my husband and I, we figured out that 
we wanted to keep doing this, but not together, separately. We would not be a triad anymore. Um, so he started dating people on his side, and I started dating people on my side. And with those new partners with whom I didn't have strong foundations, uh, security, uh, many years of relationship to show me that, oh, this is, this thing is working and it's gonna last and we, we, we can make this work. I was much more insecure and that's when it became challenging. You know, with the new partners, I was not so compersive. I was not so happy for my partner. Yeah, that's when I, uh, knew, discovered how bad jealousy could go. I get the impression that insecurity is really dangerous for any sort of relationship. Oh, I think so. I think a good relationship with another person begins with a good relationship with yourself. If you don't love yourself first, if you, you don't see yourself as a lovable human being, then how can you be in a good relationship, a um, healthy relationship? You're just going to be always like grasping to the other person to uh, give you the love that you don't give yourself. Right. So it's, it's the same in monogamy or polyamory in that regard. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's interesting. One of the things that I hear people say about polyamory is that there's a higher chance that my partner will leave me if they're dating other people. And I feel like there's always a chance that your partner will leave you, whether they're dating other people or not. I don't actually think that dating other people makes it more likely that they'll leave you if they can date other people while they're with you. If they want to be with you, then they have to be with you. I heard someone say that uh, being replaced cannot be a thing because they're, we're all so unique that if someone likes your own particular flavor, they have to... He, he compared That person compared himself to a Big Mac and said, if you want a Big Mac, you cannot go buy a Whopper and say it's the same thing. Both are hamburgers, but... I mean, if they want a Whopper, they're going to go get a Whopper. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned earlier this word compersion, that like in your earlier relationships, you, you were a little insecure and you didn't have compersion. Mm -hmm. And I'm that's why we're talking today, right? Because compersion is sort of... I'm going to try to describe it. You tell me if I'm right. The ability to derive pleasure from seeing your partner be happy with another person. Yes, absolutely. That's how I define it. Um. Great. <laughs> I did my homework. Uh, I was also at your, your workshop on compersion. So um, I love the concept. I, I mean, I, it's like more love. Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate that the, wor the word was invented so recently. I, I think it's a word that uh, was invented in the 90s. Isn't it sad that there was not a word to say that I have pleasure for your pleasure. I'm happy of your happiness. It, it, it's a word that was totally missing in the language. And I don't think it only applies to polyamory. It applies to everything. If you get a new job and you're so happy about that, then I can be happy for you. So it, it applies to so many things. There's a question on OkCupid, the dating site. And it says, is jealousy 
healthy or not in a relationship? And my answer has always been yes, but it depends what you do with it. Absolutely. I don't think that the presence of jealousy means that there's something wrong or that it's negative. Sometimes it's, it lets you know that yeah. you know, you're attached to somebody. Uh, jealousy is an emotion. Every emotion can be healthy or unhealthy. It depends what you do with it. And of course, uh, in polyamory, jealousy shows up a lot. And in the beginning, I would say, I would say it, like you mentioned, it's, it informs you of a lot of things. And for, of course, at the beginning, you're not used to seeing a partner being in love with someone else or just being interested, showing interest. Like when I was monogamous, my, my husband would never turn his head on looking at another woman on the street. That was a, a no. We didn't do that. Yeah, we were quite strict about those things. So we had to learn, oh, he's looking at her. She's beautiful, isn't she? Okay. And and then I'm reacting. I felt jealous and then, or I didn't. But, you know, those emotions inform you. Maybe at first it was informing me that when I see a beautiful woman, I start comparing myself. And then I had to learn that she can be beautiful and I can be beautiful. There is enough beauty in the world for everyone to be beautiful. So... She's not threatening. I can find her beautiful too. And it's something to be celebrated, not something to feel uh, bad about. And so you learn things over time about your jealousy and it starts to dissolve. But there will always uh, remain certain specific points, and we call them triggers, that will be more sensitive but when you know yourself enough and when you know your partners, your relationship enough, then you can deal with that in such a positive way. It's a signal uh, that becomes useful rather than just freaking out for everything. What's an example of how to deal with that in a positive way? Oh, um, communication, of course. Saying, hey, I feel really insecure these days. Uh, would you mind showing me, me being more uh, expressive of your love f uh, for me? Or I see you're very enthusiastic about this new person. Would you mind telling me what you like in me? And uh, the partner can help with that. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes it just, uh, I, I would find that for me, you know, my physical health will have an impact on how I deal with insecurity when I'm uh, well uh, rested, when I do exercise, when uh, it's the summer and I'm happy, then, oh, compersion is so much more easy. When it's the end of the winter, I'm sick and I, I have no energy, then I feel like, shit, I'm going to be insecure. What I'm sort of hearing is you could say something like, hey, I noticed that you're really happy about this person and, and ideally I would like to be happy for you as well, but I'm also feeling a little insecure. Yeah. Could you reassure me that yeah. you're still in love with me? Yeah. Tell me what you love about me and then maybe we can talk about what you love about her also. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's when you see that, oh, uh, he loves her because she's funny and he loves me because I'm intellectual and he loves the other one because she's whatever. And uh, then you realize that uh, different person are like different flavors or like different colors. You know, you're not even competing with people. You're just being your own thing. So... That's very reassuring. If we're talking about compersion, I, I sort of imagine that this might be a difficult concept for people to grasp. How do you generate enthusiasm and joy at seeing your partner be with another person or falling for another person or crushing on somebody else? Well, strangely, when I talk to people about it, there's hardly anyone who cannot tell of a moment where they felt it. Like pretty much everyone, even if they cannot generate that emotion as often or as, or as strongly as they wish, everyone knows what it is. They can remind, uh, recall of a maybe a, a glimpse of a moment where they felt it. So it's not such a strange emotion for people. What's complicated is to have it on the daily basis to have it as your go-to emotion when you think of the fact that your partner has other relationships because they, they do have their other people on a daily basis you know they will text their partners in the morning to wish them a good day they will have a date with someone in uh, at night uh, another day they're asking you about the schedule because they want to see this or that person so it's on a daily basis that you you're reminded that they have someone else so you have to have that emotion ready to be happy for them just any minute because it's it's just there it sounds like you better get it you better figure out how to access it or else you'll be constantly reminded that your partners with other people and if your go-to emotion is jealousy or envy or sadness it's going to be you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have a hard time. Yeah. And actually, some people tell me they're pretty neutral all the time. But for me, it wasn't how I felt it. I was either very jealous or very compulsive, and there was hardly ever a middle ground. Uh, I'm not neutral about a lot of things. I mean, I, I, I'm a pretty intense person. So for me, it was really jealousy or compersion and nothing in the middle. So I really had to figure out how to go to the compersion side because uh, my jealousy was pretty intense. So that's what brought me to that whole quest of finding compersion and understanding how it works. I mean, your quest led you to write a, a whole book on compersion. Yeah. Now it's educating people on what is compersion, how to access it, what are its effects in your relationships. Uh-huh. The way I wrote it, it's meant for polyamorous people, but obviously it's all things that can apply to monogamous people. Do you have any tips on helping people access compersion and express it and feel it and deal with it? And I, I'd say my biggest realization regarding compersion is that uh, everyone has needs that are specific and that must be met in order for them to feel compersion. Um, you meet the need and then compersion becomes easier. If you 
ignore the need or toss it aside, then compression is going to be hard to make happen or it's going to be plain impossible and there would be no wondering why. Of course, it would be easy if I could just give you a list of needs, those needs that make compersion possible or even easy. But we're all different in that regard. And it's sad because most of us come to polyamory not knowing what those what what do we need to feel compersion and we have to become like our own lab rats, I'd say, our own guinea pig. We try uh we do a lot of mistakes to discover what those needs are. Uh, for example, I would say mine or uh, transparency, uh, feeling important for my partner, which is not the same I be, as being the, the only one. You can be one of uh, a few people that your partner loves, but you're still going to feel that you're important for them. I guess I have uh, a few other needs. Uh, earlier, I mentioned that uh, for me, how I feel physically, if I'm in good shape, well-rested, uh, if I'm, uh, you know, uh, if I exercise on a daily basis, then those things are going to make me, uh, for me, it's going to be easier to feel compersion. Those are my needs. But a different person is going to have totally different needs. For example, someone uh, can uh, have a, a strong need for their uh, personal life to be respected. They need a lot of privacy. That's what they will need for uh, to feel compassion for their partners. Yes. It, it's really an individual answer that must be found by each person, what their needs are. So it sounds like one of the ways that we can generate compersion is to have whatever our needs are met mm-hmm. and to make sure that they're met, right? So there's a bunch of different, it's sort of like love languages, right? Like you have these love languages, you have to know what your love language is, right? And so there are different needs and and in the workshop that you did, we sort of talked about the need need to be loved or just mm-hmm. the need of love mm-hmm. uh, need of security a uh, need to be heard Absolutely. psychic need uh need to be seen uh need to be like affirmed privacy needs creativity needs so basically figure out what it is that is important to you yeah yeah and then do what you can to make those needs met to get them yeah. met and also yeah. ask your partner whatever yeah. they can do to meet them. Yeah. Then you'll be, I mean, all all this sounds like it would make you more secure. Yeah. And yeah. if you're secure in your relationship, you have a better capacity for feeling joy and love. Absolutely. And you're less likely to feel threatened by the presence of another person in your partner's life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And is it that different from monogamy? I mean, a monogamous relationship is going to work if whatever needs you have. So it's a lot about needs being met. It, Yeah. So I think six, when it comes down to successful relationships, needs being met is like, yeah, it's right? pretty, it's like, right? it's up there. Yeah. But very often we'll stick in a relationship. We want it to work. And if we are realistic, we know this specific person cannot or doesn't want to help us meet certain needs. That person just cannot or will not. 
and we we still stick to the relationship. We we I don't know. We can be stubborn, but uh, compatibility is important. And we also have to realize that our partner can never meet all of our needs. No, like your need for exercise. Yeah, your, your partner can't hey, meet that honey, one. Can you go to the gym for me? <laughs> it can't happen. So yeah. we. So yeah, while we have to lean on our partners, we also have to learn to figure out what it is that we need, how to get them met, who can meet them, which can I meet. Yeah. yeah. And the beauty of polyamory is that you now have access to people in your life that can also help you meet your needs. Yeah, yeah. Different a variety of needs. Some people will help you meet some needs and a different person will help you meet another type of needs and yeah i mean i'm just thinking obviously sexually if i have some needs to be really kinky mm-hmm. but my current partner is not into it and then i could find someone who is yeah and they can be more than happy to say oh honey i'm so happy you found someone to do that weird thing that you love <laughs> that seems like it would take off some pressure yeah of course of course well, knowing that you don't have the whole responsibility of a partner, of their happiness, of their uh, being sexually satisfied, or of it can be a big relief. Yeah, of course. This seems like one of the great benefits of polyamory that maybe doesn't get talked about as much is that you can get your needs met through various different people. Yeah, I guess. Or, uh, or maybe yeah, it, it just didn't happen to hear t- uh, a lot about that because I, I think it's something that uh, people express uh, happiness about. Okay, know? so this is like a, one, it's of the, a thing. It's yeah. one of the big like, uh, positives of polyamory. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It has it, its bad side though because I've seen moments where every partner will assume that you shouldn't need this or that because you have other partners that should be meeting that need. And at some point, you know, it has to be someone. But if everyone assumes that those needs are met by the others, well, especially when things are not going so well. I mean, when it's time for kinky sex, everyone is there. But, (laughs) you know, when you need to go to emergency because you're sick, maybe, oh, everyone thinks the other is going to do it. So that could be one bad side, I would say. I guess it comes back to being able to communicate and express your needs to different people. Yeah, Different needs for different people. Yeah. What are some other challenges that you've faced in this like exploration of polyamory schedule <laughs> oh <laughs> okay wow that is so not what i was expecting oh it's a big one and uh some people said that uh polyamory could not exist before google google calendar was invented because it, it can be sometimes such a struggle like oh okay i would like to see you on this day oh but no but i'm seeing this other partner on that day do you have another day available oh no i have to do this and do that and if if you have add to this that uh, people have a career, have children, need to sleep at night and uh, whatever, then, okay, I have two, three partners and I have to put them in a schedule and I don't want to see you only in three or 
there there's this funny meme that says uh, I was happy to see you to meet you and the the two person are comparing schedules and they realize they can never see each other again so it was one date that's cute and sad and sad so yeah, yeah it can be a, a struggle when you you're in love and then you reala- realize that you cannot see that person as much as you would like either because of your schedule or theirs or you know the whole polycules schedule being messy you know yeah i've had that experience there's a woman that i've been seeing for a while and i would really love to see her more Mm -hmm. and it's like not really possible or maybe it is actually i just haven't asked for it oh communication Mm -hmm. i know i'm working on it okay good (laughs) i've got a bachelor's degree in communication but still it can be really hard to ask for what you want yeah because then you're making yourself vulnerable by asking because the 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 risk is that the answer might be no it might be, yeah. but it might be yes. More will be revealed Yeah, <laughs> if you have the courage to ask. <laughs> the only thing that we haven't really touched on is this, the scarcity mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the scarcity mentality is, uh, you know, sometimes we see love as something very specific, something that can be offered just in one s- certain way that uh, people have to love me like this and like that. It's very precise. And then they think, okay, there's only one person in the world who can love me like that. And I haven't found them. And they're like hunting for this one person who will love them perfectly. And of course, when they meet people, they they don't feel they're loved so perfectly as they imagined. And then they think, okay, that must not be the one then. And they keep looking for that. And with that mindset, love is something rare, something that and when you find it of course you're not going to share it with anyone you're going to keep it uh, uh, just to yourself and you're going to be afraid of whatever could spoil it or anyone who will look at your at your special person because you're afraid they're going to live with them but when you think with the perspective that love is everywhere and love is plenty in the world. And love comes in many, uh, uh, in many shapes, many uh, ways, many flavors. And then sometimes it's a friendship. Sometimes it's, it's a sexual encounter. Sometimes it's going to be just a conversation. Sometimes it's just going to be a hug with a friend. And sometimes it's going to be passionate love. Sometimes it's going to be a relationship that's going to last your whole life. Sometimes it's going to be a friend whom uh, you're not going to see for years. But when you see them again, it's like you saw them five minutes because you you just start the conversation and it's like no time was uh, between the two of you. And love seen this way is plenty. It's everywhere. It's it's when you go in the subway to go to work, when a stranger looks in your eyes and you just see in their eyes that their fellow human beings and for one second they send you love with their gaze 
when you see love like that, you don't have to keep it like you're going to lose it and there's not enough and I cannot share it. When you see love everywhere, you can share. There's enough for everyone. And there's not only one person who can give it to you. It's many persons are going to give you love in many different ways. And now and tomorrow and next week and next month, there's plenty. And that makes you less afraid of losing what you have. You don't have to hide it from others. You can share. That helps with conversion, I would say. The abundance mentality of love. Yeah, absolutely. Abundance. Love is abundant. Yeah, it's either scarcity or abundance. And, and like, pick one. Which yeah. One, which one do you want to believe in? Yeah, because it's all in our heads. We look at the world with some glasses and then it's going to make us interpret what we see, what, what, what we experience. I had a girlfriend a long time ago and she was a free spirit. Mm-hmm. And she had, she had said, hey, why don't we try you know, having an open relationship? And I said, no fucking way. And I, I like kind of strangled that relationship. I, I, I smothered it mm-hmm. by, by holding onto it and grasping and not letting go. And eventually mm-hmm. she was like, I can't be in this relationship. It's too limiting. It's too constricting for me. Mm-hmm. So like the thing that I wanted so much, I was holding onto it so tight to not lose it. That was the thing that caused me to lose it. Mm-hmm. It was in a scarcity mentality. Even when we were spending time together, I was saying, when can we see each other again? And she goes, we're, we're still we're together right now. Yeah. And I was, I wanted more, you know? Yeah. I'm sad. You were not ready for that. I wasn't kind of letting go and yeah. 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 And grasping causes a lot of suffering. We talked about that earlier before we started the podcast, but grasping causes suffering because in all areas, I mean, everything we had have, we can lose every moment, be it our health, the people we love or a job or whatever, everything we have can disappear and we cannot grasp at things and keep them. I mean, it's power is illusion. We don't have that power over thing. Impermanence. Yeah. The Buddhists figured this out a long time ago. Yeah. Everything is temporary. I'm not good about Buddhism, but yeah, apparently they figured out those things. Yeah, I think so. Everything is temporary. Mm -hmm. Even relationships. Yeah. The thing, the thing that we want to be the most secure can also not be secure at all. Yeah, absolutely. We all change. We all uh, evolve. So a relationship that exists now might not exist tomorrow. And it doesn't mean that it was a failure. It's just nothing is permanent. Mm. It changed forms. Yeah. (laughs) Marianne Williamson likes to say that. In her book, uh, A Return to Love, she's, by the way, a Democratic candidate for the for the presidential election. Wow. Yeah. Oh. And she wrote, she wrote a book called A Return to Love, which is a huge difference from like who's currently in office to who could potentially be in office. 
I know. (laughs) (laughs) What a future it would be. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited about the future. Mm -hmm. I am too. I'm, I'm an optimist. But the future doesn't exist. Yeah. We're not living in the present if we're talking to, if we're if we're living in the future. <laughs> but I think it's okay to hope for it. Yeah. We just don't have to live there. Mm-hmm. You were just talking about all the different ways in which a relationship can progress mm-hmm. or turn into, you know, or the, or this new person that you meet like what what it could be. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been in monogamous relationships where I have met some somebody and it was electric mm-hmm. and immediately the 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 thought is like oh this is maybe somebody that i could date or be with romantically but mm-hmm. that i have to cut that off immediately because that's not part of the agreement that i have with my partner mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then it's like okay well it just the whole thing falls apart because there 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 can't be an exploration because maybe this person is just like somebody that I have a huge crush on and we uh, inspire each other creatively like creatively, and we spend time together, but it's not sexual. But uh, somebody in a monogamous relationship, that partner could feel threatened mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about that kind of engagement. Mm-hmm. And I get the impression that in polyamory, like you can go explore that and you can be honest with your partner about this person. And there's, there's a, a liberty, a freedom to see what can I create with this other person. Yeah, and it's the beauty of the thing. It it doesn't you don't have to know what you want things to become from the beginning. You can just go and see as as you called it, it's an exploration. And maybe after seeing a person two or three times, well, at first it was a big crush and then you realize that oh, maybe there's not as much as I thought behind this and oh well it was good that I could explore this and now I know I know it wasn't big or sometimes it sometimes it was big and it's amazing that it can become as big as it wants and maybe that person's gonna be big part of your life maybe you're gonna have children with them you don't know so it can yeah, it can go in any direction. But of course, we have lots of crushes. We see a person and it inspires something, but we don't necessarily know what it is. And it doesn't have to be a lifetime commitment or it can be friendship or it can be some particular sexual experience or it can be, it can be so many things. And it's good to just explore that. Could be a cuddle buddy. A cuddle buddy, of course. Yeah, polyamorists are big on cuddling. <laughs> <laughs> I think people in general would like to be big on cuddling. Yeah. I mean, most people like cuddling, but it's it's not acceptable to cuddle somebody outside of your monogamous partnership because of the implications yeah. of what it might mean. Might mean. I mean, most of the time when we cuddle, it doesn't mean what we're afraid that it's going to mean. I mean... Uh, cuddling most of the time is non-sexual it's pretty benign it's pretty benign but we make it like oh keep that for your partner because it might become something else even if your partner doesn't like to cuddle well then you know you're kind of screwed they better cuddle they better (laughs) 
Yeah, and in monogamy, sometimes people coerce themselves in doing things they don't like because they think they have, it brings back to what we were talking about earlier. In the monogamous relationship, you have to fulfill all of your partner's needs. And it's like, oh, but what if I don't feel like meeting that particular need? And people do lots of stuff that they don't want to do. They they go see movies that they don't like. They uh, go dance on music they don't like. They uh, they do sex positions they don't like. They do whatever kind of things they don't like because they're responsible for all of their partner's needs. And that's big. I mean, it doesn't leave a lot of room to be yourself and say, hey, no, I don't like that kind of movies or I don't like that sex position. Or... What if my need is to not do the thing that is your need? Yeah. Then someone's compromising. Yeah, yeah. And compromise is good sometimes, but yeah. It's... Sure, it depends. Yeah. A bit of compromise, m- meet in the middle, yeah. but... Not denying who you are mm. to be what someone else wants. Okay, I think that's important to highlight. Yeah. That is, that's, there's a difference between compromise and really doing stuff that you don't want to do. Yeah, I realize that compromise doesn't exactly mean the same thing in French and in English. That's why I use that word. Compromise in French is much milder in the meaning. It's, it's like. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. Un compromis? Well, yeah, a compromis is, is something nice. We're negotiating and we're doing something good for each other. Okay. It's, it's not like, oh, yeah, in English, it's, oh, compromising. Yeah. Somebody's losing. No, yeah, yeah. No, I like win-win. Win-win-win if you're in a polyamorous relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Win-win-win-win-win. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it takes, remember, everybody, it takes a lot of communication and you have to be aware of what your impact is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Where can we find you and your book? You can find me uh, on my blog, uh, hypeshafromspace.com. And you can find my book on amazon.com or .ca or .fr if you're in France. Oh, nice. <laughs> .ga if you're in Japan. Oh, nice. <laughs> Oh, yeah. J, J A. Wait, I, J, J, J J P J J P. Okay, I think it's J P. I don't. I know. was surprised. I sold uh, one or two copies in Japan, and I was oh oh yeah. The Japanese are catching on to compersion. One final question for you. Yes. Bit of a curveball. Okay, I'm ready. What is love to you? Wow. I'd say for me, it's a lot about commitment. And I will just throw words here and not make sentences with them. Okay. Um, Authenticity. Um, Seeing the other for who they are and knowing that they see you for who you are. Um, I think of love and it makes me feel warm inside and also butterflies in my belly, in my stomach. And and sometimes love is not the butterflies, it's staying when it's hard, sitting together and trying to understand each other when 
when we think that there is nothing to understand in what the other person is trying to say. So love is many things. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> All right, lovebirds, I have said it before and I will say it again. Thank you for listening. It really means a lot to me. I was just thinking about, you know, putting everybody that's ever listened to an episode of Love Drive in one place. And that's a lot of people. And that's fucking rad. Anyways, I just wanted to let you know that I just finished up a week-long coaching intensive in addition to some of the other coaching training and education that I have. And it was transformational. I got dropped into a master's program at Concordia University to sit in and participate on this freaking transformational way of coaching. And I am super pumped to add this and include this in my work. And I want to let you know that for June, I have three spots for coaching. So if you are not where you want to be and you are struggling or you have a vision of the future, a future you that is more loving, that has the type of relationships that you want to have, that has the emotional intimacy required to be a loving and connected person, and you want to work on that and you want someone to keep you accountable, to help you move your shit forward, and to help you identify some of the obstacles and limiting behaviors that you've probably used for a long time to help keep you safe, but that kind of keeps you back a little bit, then contact me. Send me an email, sean at thelovedrive.com or send me a private message on Instagram at thelovedrive and let's work together. Let's get on the phone, first of all, 30 minutes to see if this is a good fit. I would be honored to help you become a more loving, amazing, kick-ass person. And I want everyone to have a great week. Let's do this. <laughs>